Welcome to Israel War Briefing, a new podcast from the Jewish Chronicle, offering deep insight into the crisis in the Jewish state as it continues to unfold. I'm Josh Kaplan, digital editor of the Jewish Chronicle, and each week we'll be asking an expert commentator for analysis of the latest developments and reflections on what comes next. Today on Israel War Briefing, we're joined by Eyal Biram. Eyal is um, a reserve officer in the IDF. He's also an activist that lives in London, and he's part of the 710 Human Chain Project, uh, which organizes events around the capital uh, to bring awareness to the plight of the hostages held in Gaza. Eyal, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Um, So Eyal, I thought we'd start by talking a little bit about your initial reaction to the events of October 7th. Do you remember where you were when you found out and how it all kind of unfolded for you? I think uh, everyone uh, still remember the way they woke up October 7th and how they reacted for the messages, the video. Um, and I, I woke up here in London, it's two hours after London, after Israel, and I opened my phone and I had uh, more than 10 calls from my friends and I understood immediately what's happening, and my my team that I'm part of in reserves, as part of Sayyid Matkal, one of the special forces in Israel, uh, was called immediately to the south uh, to be uh, part of the mission to get control again on the villages that were invaded by Hamas. Um, unfortunately, during these uh, 48 hours that my friends were fighting there continuously, I lost nine of my friends, very close one, that we served together, some of my soldiers and Many of the people that I, I served with and I admired very much that just uh, run into the hell that Hamas opened there in the south and, and, and really put their life in danger. Many of them saved life on hundreds of people. We still heard horrible stories about the incidents, the atrocities, but there are many who've been survived thanks for the courage soldiers that arrived there on Saturday in the morning and ran into the fire of Hamas and took people from the beds, from the houses, under massive fire. Thanks God, people survived it, and unfortunately, more than 1,200 didn't. And that's part of the beginning of the war for me, and I think for average Israeli, especially the one who are members of the IDF and members in reserve. Mm. And, and were you surprised about the scale of it? Because I remember... When I first found out, you know, you saw the stuff about the rockets first and you thought, oh, this is just a sort of another day. Maybe it's a bit harder. And then it became very clear very quickly that it wasn't like anything else. W- were you surprised then? Did you I think, you know, a lot of people were just completely gobsmacked about the scale of it and, and how Hamas were able to do this. Yeah, I think everyone was surprised that the truth that uh, we don't want to say that's the truth about uh, the idea of perception about Hamas interests, about our enemy and the brutality is something that although we always knew that we are not uh, facing a group of people who are dancing in the parties in Gaza and just want to have a better life, we clearly saw uh, what the goal and different incidents during the last uh, few decades, but the morning of October 7th and the day that unfolded after show a different level of brutality that uh, the Jewish people haven't saw since the Holocaust. And that's why maybe that's the reason that many people, and, and we, see, we see it here in London, and, and not uh, not just in London, but all over the world, many people who are members of the Jewish communities, who are not big supporters of Israel, woke up on October 7th and felt that there is something different. Because the, the basic foundation of every Jew that you are protected, something changed when you woke up and saw these images that became to be not just uh, a rally of hate in, 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 in Gaza and 
and how we saw that uh, every hostages that we took in Gaza was perceived there in the street, uh, but also here in the streets of London, of Manhattan, and different major cities around the world. And, and that's that's the main reason for concerns and understanding that this is not just the field of Gaza that will affect the future of the Jewish people and the Jewish state. Mm. This is something much broader than that. Mm. And I guess, yeah, that, that kind of speaks to this kind of big sense of like Jewish unity that we saw, and especially within Israel, right? Because just, you know, even a few days before October 7th, Israel was tearing itself apart over the judicial reform, and then suddenly everybody comes together and everybody's pulling for the same thing. How long do you think that spirit of unity in Israel is going to last? Because, you know, everybody in Israel seems to be under extraordinary stress. Everything's going on. It's still, you know, like, you know, waking up every day, you're, you're still in the war. Do you think the Israelis will, will still hold together as long as this war drags out? We learned from our history that we never learned from our history. That's the only thing we can say. It's happened on the, the first temple time, on the second one, and it's also happened in 2023 and 2024. Mm -hmm. I assume that, uh, and, and that's unfortunate, but uh, that in a month from now and maybe maybe sooner, we will become, again, a very politicized uh, uh, society that debates on different issues, but we will forget the fundamental part that... Uh, October 7 change something like that, that our existence is in a threat. And when you have your kind of luxury of sitting in a state, when you don't have any existential threat, so you can debate between different prime ministers, uh, different judges, or different way to manage your country. But when something change and you woke up and understand that maybe, maybe I can't have the same good life that I imagined that I will have, maybe I should continue and we see it right now on the drill on the draft that was uh, that will be uh, approved by the Israeli Knesset the parliament that uh, every reserve may do four months a year uh, this is third of the time that every year that uh, that people like me and many of my friends uh, will 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 enjoy uh, being in the army and I think this is change although I don't don't expect it to be a dramatic change in the political world and I hope it would. I hope that there will be emerge new leaders that will come up after this war. And I hope this important message of unity that we learned, um, that uh, although the Jewish uh, history always was dispute between different groups of people, we learned it from the Talmud that uh, we should respect the other side. And I hope this mutual respect is maybe the lesson that people understand. Uh, there are in every different tribes in, the, in Israel, there are people who want the common good. Not everyone. I agree that there are always people who are radicals, but these radicals are not more than a few percent of the society. Mm. And, and that's why, and it's unfortunate, people have been buried uh, in Judea and Samaria, in the south, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem, in the periphery. There is no change for who is sent for the war and, and, and who is surviving it. There's, this is just a percentage of who is serving in the IDF and who sees himself part of the Israeli society. Mm. And so... Yeah, I guess kind of what you're saying is that people will serve together and that will heal something, you know, that will make them realize a little bit of the, the sort of commonalities they have. Um, did you ever consider going back uh, after October 7th and, and being with the people that, that you serve in, in the reserves with? Actually, it's a very hard question. And I have to say, uh, I'm still devastating between my personal interest, which is going back to Israel and my commitments. I'm here in London and studying my MBA in London Business School, which is also an interesting conversation about the atmosphere, how one of the distinguished uh, universities around the world in the center of London with uh, people who are intellectual and came from different corridors of the world, 
can in the end of the day agree on one thing that Israel is bad and this is an issue that we can uh, invest a few minutes speaking about it in, uh, in, in, in the end of this interview. Mm. But I, I came back uh, for reserve uh, for a short time as much as I can here in the period between my studies. Um, but if there is one thing that I understand that uh, after being here, and after being member of the Jewish community here in London, that there is the fight happening, the physical one in Israel, mm. and there is the international atmosphere and the way that... Uh, not just Israel will be supported in the parliament, but also how an average Jewish uh, member of the community will feel here protected. And this is not just one angle of the, or, or one front of the war. There are many fronts and I'm, I'm very glad to, to be helpful and to be part of, of this important front, which is protecting the Jewish community, uh, involving in making different supports for Israel and showing for the average British person that the fight that we have it's not just for the interest of Israel, it's for the Eastern, the interest of the Western society and the British people. And so how have you found it being in um, London during all this? Because I, I was speaking to someone earlier in the war, uh, an Israeli person, and, and they said, you know, it feels easier to be in Israel right now because everybody's a, a getting on and everybody's, you know, we're united against the common enemy. And he said, for the first time ever, I think, you know, in New York or in London or in Paris, I would feel more uncomfortable than I do in Israel. How do you feel about that as someone that you know spends a lot of time in london i feel that london became to be more hostile than i ever imagined uh and i agree with with your friend and i, I return back to my reserve and uh, you go from your reserve service to visiting uh people who've been wounded uh, to uh, go to families who lost their loved ones and that's give you a different sense of belonging and 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 sense of understanding what is your priorities in life and you return here to London and in some way go back for your normal life, but your normal life is not the same one as October 6th, as October 5th, as October 4th. Something has been changed. And this something that we are speaking about is the understanding that we should not take for granted the um, support that we have, not in the parliament, not in the streets and not in the media. Of course, there is not a wider support. Many places are very hostile. And I was um, shocked for one incident that happened for me two days after the war started, on October 9th. I was interviewed by the BBC as a captain in reserve in the army, trying to share more what is the situation that the idea faced. At that time, still fighting terrorists in Israeli territories, uh, around the villages, in the road in the city, and different kibbutzim in the Gaza envelope. And there, my interview was cut after two minutes when I just corrected the, um, the host that Hamas is not uh, a militant, they are a terror group. And this terror group, there's a brutal thing that they can just open the social media and look and they don't need, they don't need me to send them the link for that. Uh, and I found out how the kind of freedom of speech, as we call it, mm -hmm. is one-sided and it's interested in hearing just one voice. And for me, it was an understanding that the fight that we have is a fundamental one because maybe we should start it a decade ago. And maybe this is the history of the Jewish people. It will always happen. Antisemitism will be part of our past, of our present, and our future. But we should never take it as uh, a granted situation for our kids because we do understand that fighting it and eliminating the threat of any antisemitism in this country and in other places is, is an opportunity to continue our life and also protecting Israel in some way. So uh, I, I understood clearly how the... This in my, the misinterest of hearing my side in the BBC and afterwards in different media channels is not just about Eyal Biram or about the IDF. This is more fundamental. This is in the end of the day ending in the story of the Jewish people 
and many people don't want to connect it, but this is the unfortunate truth about it. And and why do you think there isn't, you know, for example, if, if you look at the BBC, why do you think there's there's less of an appetite to hear the Israeli side of the story? Is it as simple as, as just anti-Semitism? Is there something else going on? Like what what do you what do you think that is? In the bottom, and I'm not speaking about the average host who interviewed me or other people, maybe they are believe that they are doing the right thing for freedom of speech. But when you go for the foundations of this media channel, so that for decades continue to be hostile for Israel and not showing clearly the evidence. And I'm not speaking, I don't want them to be pro-Israel. I just want them to be objective. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you present one side, you are far from being objective. Um I understand that uh, the the people who interview me prefer to look on the situation as oppressed and oppressor, uh, as good side and bad side, as old civilization that was colonialized different countries and new civilization. And for them, Israel is a kind of a country that still, uh, in their point of view, states in that old centuries when the Britain had different colonists around, around the world. For them, Israel is maybe the only state that uh, continue to be an empire that control an area that it's not uh, their native one. So I, I do believe that this is a reason for misunderstanding. This is a reason of an interest to present the situation like that. And maybe this is after decades of understanding that the only problem that we have, not just in the Middle East, but many in many of the problems or areas around the world is the Jewish people. And uh, this perception that if we just solve Israel, everything will be solved. This is the average and the common uh, uh, the common discussion, not just in Israel, but I saw it in different countries around the world, and in, in, in especially in the Middle East, in Egypt, in Jordan, um, and uh, in, of course, many hostile countries. But something changed, and we can speak more about it, what's happened on the Abraham Accords when the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, hopefully soon Saudi, understood that Israel is not their enemy, but is part of their future. Uh, and this may be kind of optimism. It's not what we are that I hope that in a few months or a few weeks from now, Israel will normalize the, the relation with many uh, leading countries in the, in the region. But I do believe that this is the process. And this is a process that October 7 targeted to stop. And maybe they will be able to, put, to pause it for some time. But for sure, in a matter of years, this process will continue because this is not our interest. This is their interest. They understand that Israel is not just a way to protect themselves securely. This is also the way to get their future and to build a future that right now builds on oil and the future will be need to build on technology and technology in Israel and the future of Israel is in some ways also designated and connected for that element. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to Abu Dhabi a, a few years ago and, and it's not something I ever thought I would be able to do because I have an Israeli passport and I thought, you know, it's never going to happen. But it what struck me about going there is that how quickly things can change is that like a few years ago, it would have been, you know, unthinkable or whatever. And now, you know, I was walking down the street with a rabbi. There are Israeli businesses working in the Emirates. Like this stuff can happen very, very quickly. But it feels like something like October 7th, it probably won't be able to stop that. It'll just make it take a bit longer. Like, I don't think it's going to change the fundamental realities that that Saudi wants to, uh, you know, oppose Iran in the region and they want to be friends with people that don't like Iran. Um, so I guess... In your opinion, you know, if if it's not going to stop that with Saudi, did Hamas kind of do all this for nothing? And I don't know, it just doesn't feel like there was much greater thinking beyond the moment of October 7th. 
think we should always uh, consider Hamas interest by looking for Iran interest. In the end of the day, the small player that was played and was uh, um, was played and and also was active by the the largest and the big enemy in the region, which is Iran, clearly. And um. I think it's something that the U.S. particularly tried not to call it in the name. They tried to say the over enemies in the region, the radicals. But I mean, if there is something that changed in the last few weeks, particularly since the Houthi started to attack vessels mm -hmm. uh, that uh, stopped uh, any kind of transportation in the Red Sea, is an understanding that Iran threatening not just Israel, not just some moderate countries in the Middle East, but also the UK, the US, and every Western country who just want to have the common good and to transport good between the east side of the world to the west side of the world. And this uh, maybe small change that we can see it in historical time dramatically is um, a wake-up call for, I hope, for every leader that want to stop the, radicaliz the, the radicalization process happening in the Middle East to happen. Because in the end of the day, Iran's interest is to have a one Islamic caliphate from Iran to Egypt, of course, including Israel. Uh, and I believe that Hamas did it from few purposes. One is pure hate to Israel. Second one is an interest to stop the normalization with Saudi. And the third one is also a push from Iran to do it on that specific time of the year, on that specific time when we have the specific president that aimed to do the specific normalization with Saudi. And everything, in my point of view, was part of their game. If uh, they aim to have such a severe war, both in Israel and also the reaction that they will have in Gaza, I don't think so. Mm. Um, but still, there, there are people who do not look for the common good of their people. They just look for one thing, and this is their goal, uh, is to die as a shaheed. Um, mm. And their own people are not part of the interest. So mm. that's that's why I believe that maybe it's a combination of a miscalculation, but a lot of interest from their side to harm Israel. Yeah. And and you talk there a bit about how you kind of Israel is fighting this enemy that, that doesn't care whether it lives or dies and actually... To a lot of cases, they, they want to die as Shahids, right? So do you think it's possible that Israel will ever be able to totally eradicate Hamas from Gaza? Like, you know, given your military background, I'm sure you're aware of how difficult it would be to go street by street and clear absolutely everybody that's ever had anything to do with Hamas out of Gaza. Do you think do you think it's realistic for the for the IDF? I mean, they keep saying they're going to do it, but do, but do you think it can actually happen? I think the IDF understands that you can never stop ideas. Uh, and that's why even uh, more than almost 80 years after World War II, uh, there is still Nazi people who go around the world. Are they minority? They are minority. Uh, are, they are not forbidding to show their ideas. In many countries, they are. Uh, but there are still people who believe in the Nazi ideology. And I'm saying it because it's clear that also the day after the war ends, and nobody knows when the day after would be, uh, there will be people who support Hamas. There will be terrorists who affiliate themselves with Hamas, not just in the Gaza Strip and Judah and Samaria and the West Bank, but also in Lebanon, in different Arab countries, and maybe here in this country as well, as we have right now some members of Hamas who live in the UK. And it's important to mention it because the goal of the IDF is not to eliminate the idea, is to eliminate the, the capability that Hamas has. Um, this war taught us a very important lesson that this is not a matter of motivation, this is a matter of, of capability. And maybe this is also the reason why Israel in the next few months will start a campaign against uh, Hezbollah because they understand that having your life when having a terrorist next to your border that happy to do October 7, 10 times harder and 10 times faster 
you cannot live with that understanding and, and, and with that perception when you know that this is not a matter of their motivation and not a matter of their capability. This is just a matter of their timing. So if we want to take up one um, element for the equation after this war, it's to take up the capability because the motivation will stay there forever. And I hope there will be one day a better life for the Palestinian people after they will start to educate the people to love life and not to love death. Until it will happen, we'll continue to have different elements or different uh, symbols as Hamas, while I hope that Israel will continue to eradicate their capability of executing the war. Because the tenders and the pickups uh, that Hamas entered to Israel on October 7th, this is the capability that I'm speaking about. The, the PKs, the different rifles, the ammunition that they use, uh, this is the goal of the war. And when Israel say we want to eradicate and to eliminate the threat of Hamas, it means Hamas will have no missiles, no weapons, and they will stop the, the, the portions of the uh, ammunition from Egypt uh, to Gaza, which build a huge manpower and uh, facilities for them for decades. When important to say Israel believe that they can stop it just by uh, threatening them, by determining them. But this deterrence did not happen October 7th. Yeah. And now I guess we're what four four months into the war, um, and and you seem like we get these little updates. You know, like they've killed more Hamas people here, more Hamas people there. Do you think that there's there's almost a time limit now in place? You know, Joe Biden said yesterday that that maybe Israel needs to pull it back. You know, the the UK has started to be talking about a ceasefire. Um, do you think that that public perception in the West is a is it changing? And B, do you think that will affect Israel's ability to act in Gaza in the way that it wants to? That's uh, our main concern, I think, is the IDF. It's not about the capability of the IDF to continue the campaign right now, hopefully soon, in the southern neighborhood, uh, the southern city of Gaza, Rafiach, but also an understanding that uh, without the international support, you will be stopped in a minute. Uh, the, not just about the ammunition that will not be sent to the IDF from the US, but the understanding that Israel cannot act independently. And that may be the reason that although Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister received criticism from his own coalition for sending aid to Gaza, but he continued doing it on a daily basis, hundreds of trucks that enter Gaza. And this is some kind of a conflict between your interests. If you want to end this war, you can stop sending the trucks and then Hamas first for the first ceasefire that happened for the pause of the of the war uh, when they released almost 100 of our hostages. This can happen again. On the other hand, if you will stop sending the trucks to Gaza, the war may stop not because Hamas was will be threatened that they would just need to take care of their own people, but just from the fundamental understanding that Israel will be stopped by the US, UK, and different allies. And that's why we are kind of in a contradiction and in a fickle point that may soon one of them will be happening. And by the way, I hope that and that 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 was the hope of the of, of the Paris uh, meeting that happened a week ago. I hope that Hamas, in the end of the day, will receive the terms for having a release of the hostages and a long-term uh, temporary ceasefire that will be for a couple of months, as we understand from what was published in the media. Compare, combining everything, I think Israel's interest is right now not to push for another battlefield, although they can do it. It's not a matter of, of capability. It's a matter of their uh, understanding if Hamas will do any kind of a ceasefire deal of not, because once you start your campaign in the southern city of Gaza, it can take another month. Every campaign cannot stop in the middle. 
when you started the attack on Khan Yunus, the sovereign city, it can take you between a month to two months to finish the campaign and to get for every all the terrorists there. We know that there is the last uh, place when Hamas is controlled in southern Gaza, Rafiach, and when Israel will debate, and this debate happening, I assume, right now in the coalition, in the tables of the IDF commanders, if they should attack Rafiach when they know that both Hamas leaders are there and also many of the hostages or not, this is a question of what's happening in the international support, and this is a result of Hamas agreeing or not agreeing for having a release of hostages and a long-term temporary ceasefire. So combining everything, I don't know what they're dealing with. I assume that they hope that Hamas will agree for the terms for the ceasefire, but that's not happening. So that's why the war will continue with criticism or without. I don't see that uh, Israel will stop the war uh, or change the strategy. Um, even if the U.S. will start to be more uh, more criticizing for Israel act in Gaza. Mm. And, you know, obviously the U.K. is a slightly less important player in this than, than the U.S., but do you think it's still important, I guess, to to make sure that the message of the hostages of is, you know, of Israel is is still heard in the U.K.? Uh, and I guess is that kind of the reasoning behind some of the sort of 710 human chain projects? Yeah, so uh, I was very glad to join uh, this group um, and to be part of the establishing group of the 710 Human Chain. And and this group is, is very unique because I believe it brings people from all sectors of society, also in the Jewish community here, and for some of the political angles, they come from Israel uh, for once uh, for one reason, and which which is bringing and making the discussion about the hostages um, as a continuous issue here in the media in the UK. Um, for example, on Sunday, the rally that happened in front of BBC with a few thousands of members uh, that called that rape is not resistance is an important manner of understanding that, as we discussed a couple of minutes ago, the BBC does not want to speak about what Hamas did on October 7th because this is against their own kind of narrative of how they present the situation. Um, and that's why I think that uh, uh, this uh, different campaigns and different projects happening here in the UK and London are important for not just for the release of the hostages, but also for keeping the support in the end of the day for the UK of Israel. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think um, the UK Human Chain and many other groups who work here doing an incredible work, although as months go by, it's more and more complicated to bring this story to the media. And that's why we try to be innovative. We did the project with Voices from the Tunnel with the exhibition to try to show how hostages been held in Gaza and what's the horrible situation that people are being kept in the, in the terror dungeons of Hamas and, and many, many more that we are right now planning that in the end of the day should both educate the Jewish, uh, the, the British society, but on the same time bring for the media more and more stories that people would not forget. Mm -hmm. And I think they are forgetting. I think even... Um, the media in Israel that try to speak about it on a daily basis starting to forget because people are returning for their home life. Many of the reservists who've been fighting in the war been released and still there are 136 hostages held in Gaza and every day that they're staying there, I'm not sure who survives and who not, both from their medical conditions, from the food that they get and just from the attacks and the murders that Hamas is doing for our people there. So that's why I'm I'm terrified for the hostages. And I hope that this message will be spread uh, here in the UK, thanks for different groups of volunteering that are doing incredible work. And is your audience for these sort of things, is it is it the Jewish community or is it more the general British public? Because I, I think a lot of the Jewish community 
will will have a will know this because you know small world everybody's connected so are you trying to convince kind of your average british person that doesn't have a link to the conflict there are a few uh, a few goals for for uh, for the rallies and for uh, for the campaigns that we do here in london i think the first one and the most basic is that people here will be safe and protected to go out with israel flag uh, with the uh, David Starr and to walk you in the streets and to feel protected. And this is something that does not happen, of course, on, on, average, on, on an average day here in London. Uh, it's important because uh, this rally is also an emphasis of a sense of a community, of a belonging, but also of uh, showing that we can be proud of our identity, although our identity being attacked here in the UK on a daily basis. This is the first goal, I think the basic one, for people who decide to come for the rallies. Of course, the hostages is a main one when you try to bring different stories and to keep it interest for the media to speak about it and uh, to bring angles that was not discussed here, like the BBC uh, avoiding to speak about the rape that Hamas did on October 7th and many, many, many more examples. And um, in the end of the day, uh, it's important that the decision makers that although I have many, many things on their, uh, on their table, will always open the media and see something related for the hostages. It's important because it will affect their decision. And when Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will call Benjamin Netanyahu, he will remember that there is the issue of Gaza, there is the issue of Yemen with the Houthis, but also there is a continuous issue with the hostages. And that, that's why we believe that this work is crucial for the safety and for the release of the hostages. Mm. And and how do you think it's it's been received? I mean, you know, you saw earlier earlier on in the war when the hostage posters went up, a lot of people ripping them down, a lot of people getting very angry at, at people, you know, showing solidarity with hostages and with Israel. Do you feel like there's still a lot of negativity, like backlash you get from from the things you try and do? Every time, every time there is backlash, there is more police officers than people who come to the rally. That's part of the problem that we face um, as, as a community, not just uh, as a rally to release the hostages. There is uh, an attack for even the concept that there are people held by Hamas. Uh, we've been hearing it, people who scream for our rallies every time, you are liars, this is just a, a Zionist conspiracy, there is no one handling Gaza. Hamas just uh, attacked terror bases. There is no civilians who have been held and, and were attacked there. We also see it from the official Palestinian ambassador to the UK that yesterday spoke in my school, in, in London Business School, and just shared different lies about the situation in Gaza, avoided speaking about the hostages, avoided speaking about the 1,200 people who have been murdered on October 7th, and, and more than that, even say that Jesus was a Christian, that, that, that uh, Jesus was, uh, was Palestinian. So all these lies are part of one story trying to eliminate the reason and the uh, uh, um, the basic for Israel having legitimacy to be in Israel, for the Jewish people being in Israel and for the Jewish state to exist. And this is why it, it's happening. Interesting thing that also happening in the rallies is that the Iranian people are coming. And we see next to the Israeli flag, many Iranian flags. And this is something that uh, you may uh, see here in London, but I think it was increased during the war as the Iranian people who've been thrown out from the country on the Iranian revolution right now feel that their shared uh, destiny with Israel is connected. And they can, in some way, rebuild the way back, thanks for their support to Israel. And I think that's why every rally, there are dozens of Israeli flag and dozens of Iranian flag. Mm -hmm. And I think this um, mutual understanding is also an important pillar of maybe thinking how the 
uh, the region will be in a decade from now. And I hope this great Iranian people will return back for their country and continue the, the great relation that happened between the Jewish people and the Iranian people and the Jewish state just a few decades ago. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's it's really interesting, actually, to, to see that kind of thing, because you wouldn't necessarily have seen it, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, I guess, where do you think, you know, Jews in London and Jews in the UK go from here, right? Because I think a lot of times you you mentioned, you know, there was October 6th, and then there's October 7th, and everything feels like it's changed. Do you think that, you know, were the war to end tomorrow, everything would go back to the way things were? Or do you think something about October 7th has fundamentally changed Jews attitude to to the UK? I'm uh, with all the respect, I'm, I'm I'm just here for a few months. So I can say I can share my perception, but maybe it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and I will be more the saying it. I think that uh, uh, just for looking about the history of the Jewish people, uh, we usually have a situation in our past that remembering us, our need not just for unity, but also for sovereignty. And uh, this is part of uh, the situation that led for the, for the establishing of the state of Israel. And then of the day, the Zionist, uh, got their, the Zionist dream got their support after the Holocaust, when we understood that we cannot live our life in Europe without protecting our own borders. And it happens again on October 7th. And as we know the history of the Jewish people, it may happen again in the future. And that's very unfortunate. Uh, so I, I think that People may forget and may continue return for their basic understanding that this is just a matter of the political leadership in Israel that affect how the Middle East is working or any priest process. But for me, as a Yal, I woke up uh, on October 7 and I understood that uh, as someone who's been very involved in the peace processes, building the relation with the UAE, Bahrain and Morocco, uh, I was part of the establishment of uh, the young uh, leadership program who've been training kind of a birthright, as we know it from the Jewish world, Taglit, but for the Arab world, inviting people to learn firsthand for Israel. And why I'm saying it, I'm saying it because for me, I understood that there is the modern side on the Arab world that want to support Israel, but we can never forget that there is another one, that the sole goal is to eliminate the existence of every Jewish person in the state of Israel. And when they will finish with the state of Israel, they will continue worldwide to attacking the Jewish people. And for me, I try, I try to avoid it. Why? Maybe this is a kind of a mechanism of self-protection that we all believe that we can continue our life, that we we have some concerns, but this is not uh, on the same level of concern that we used to have uh, for our basic existence. So our, our very existence is, is under attack and I assume people would cannot forget it, at least for the next for next years. And I hope it will bring unity in the Jewish people uh, for an understanding that Israel is our insurance for our life, regardless if we're leader, if we live there or not. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think yeah, definitely. I think we're all grateful uh, for Israel in these times. Definitely. Cool. Well, I I think we'll it's a good place to end. Uh, thank you so much, Al, for for speaking to me. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And I thank uh, the Jewish Chronicle for, for the stage. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Israel War Briefing with me, Josh Kaplan. As a reminder, all of our episodes are available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.